0: Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again this week on the program, and I trust you've been uh, tuning in every week and following as we continue to teach from the books of restoration Nehemiah, Ezra, Haggai, Zechariah as we talk about the roadmap to reformation. That's the theme of this series that we are airing right now. If you've missed any of them, there are so much fantastic information, I believe, that we've taught in this, I believe, powerful pieces of Reformation truth that will help you. If you go, if you've missed any of these, and you would like to, to follow us, you can go to my YouTube channel and watch it on demand. And uh, it is available to you at no charge. If you subscribe to the channel right there, we'll, it'll let you know every time we upload a new program, which we do every week. And uh, if you can't get YouTube and you'd like to listen to it in your automobile on your way to work, you can stream it to your smart device on, from iTunes. We have a podcast there. And if you say, well, I have an Android device, you can get the RSS feed for that. Easiest way to do that is simply go to my website at lynnhiles.com. It's on the screen. In the upper right hand corner there are icons that will give you direct links to our YouTube channel, to our podcast, and to the RSS feed. I encourage you to subscribe to it. It's free of charge and I believe it will be a tremendous blessing to you. You are welcome to share these with your friends on your Facebook page. You are welcome to watch them in your home study groups. I believe they'll be a blessing to you. That's why we're putting them out there. Excuse me. The last two weeks we've been talking about the gate of the fountain and we're showing how the 12 gates of Nehemiah are a road map to Reformation. We talked about how Nehemiah came into the city to see the condition of the city in Babylonian captivity. In prior segments, I talked about how Babylon pictures the religious system and moving away from a religious system of bondage and captivity and coming into Reformation and restoration, and see the city of God and the gates being restored. The theme of Nehemiah is arise, let us build. Let us build relationships. Let's build the local church. Let's build up families. Let's build up each other in our most holy faith. Nehemiah's name means the comforter, and Ezra's name means the helper. It's a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit to bring about reformation. When he came into the city and he surveyed the condition of the city in the night season, The night season is when it's dark and you don't really have a full revelation. He comes and views the ruins of the city because if you don't understand what got you in the mess you're in, you're never going to get out of it or you're going to be destined to repeat it again. He comes first of all to the dragon well where legend has it that the head of a dragon was cut off. Then he comes to the dung port. And after he comes from the dragon well to the dung port, he turns the corner. There's a stark corner there and heads back towards the fountain gate. I ask you in the last two segments, have you turned the corner? I believe we've turned a corner in our understanding. I believe the church is turning a massive corner towards Reformation. And we're turning away from the dragon well. The guy who built this gate called the fountain gate, his name means the one who spoiled principalities. His father's name means the all-seeing one. Jesus is the one who's building this fountain gate and the king's pool, And he's the one who's doing that to restore us, to move us away from principalities and powers and from the dung gate or the crap that's in our lives. And we showed you how that even the word dung was used by the Apostle Paul when he said, I was born the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, set at the feet of Gamaliel, as touching the law, I was blameless. And he calls that, he says, I count all of that as dung, that I might win Christ. In other words, if you're counting on your own abilities and your own human strength to bring this about, then you are, have to count that as dung. You have to move away from the dung gate and head towards the king's fountain to the king's pool. Because the old covenant brings you back to a revelation of who you are in Adam, while the new covenant brings you to who you are in Christ which brings me to today's episode. The pool of Siloam was just inside of the fountain gate. In John 9, Jesus takes a man who was born blind and sends him to this gate of the fountain. And let me read for you, and then we will get into this. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did send this man or his parents that he was born blind? And we talked about a disconnect, what we need to do is understand that there's a lot of people that are born blind. Once I was blind, but now I see. But I believe there's a lot of people who are also blind to their new birth and what that means to be born again, or if you will, regenerated. So this man was born blind. I believe there's a lot of people who need a revelation. They need their eyes opened to who they now are in Christ. And Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must mark the works of him that sent me, while it is day, the night cometh, when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And he said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. Now I want you to stop here because what I want to emphasize in this particular segment is they keep on looking for somebody to blame. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Last week I dealt with the, the, uh, the, the, the thought of generational curses because there's still a paradigm that's wanting to be carried over into the new covenant stuff. That's an old covenant paradigm. We need to learn how to rightly divide the word of truth and stop mixing old and new covenant. What we when when you talk about generational curses, you are coming from an old covenant paradigm. You're trying to find who sinned. And, and what is amazing is I have enough problem dealing with my own sin that I have to worry about the sins of my fathers. And I talked about in the last segment how Jesus on the cross I dealt with the whole idea of generational curses because Jeremiah prophesying in the context of saying, A new covenant I'm going to make, he says the children's teeth are set on edge because the fathers have eaten sour grapes. But what we need to understand is that in the new covenant, Jesus on the cross said, I thirst, and they brought him a cup of vinegar. He took the cup of the sour grapes, of the generational curses of the fathers, and redeemed us from the curse of the law so that we can stop blaming everybody and just receive from this apostolic pool, this one who was sent, this pool of Siloam, and get a revelation that I'm not in Adam, and under a curse, I'm in Christ, and because I am, I've been redeemed from the curse of the law, Jesus being made a curse for us. That's in the context of when He said, I am the light of the world. My book titled, The Great I Am, the latest book I've just written, you need to get this book. Because I talk about the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. And when He does, He always says it in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. He says that in contrast, every time he talks about I am the light of the world, he's talking about moving away from condemnation and moving towards a revelation of the work of Christ and what He's done to redeem you from the curse of the law. Now, what I want you to see is that he takes this man, when he had thus spoken, he, takes, he, he made clay of spittle and anointed, he took, he took the red clay, watch this, he took the red clay. Remember, now God created man from the dust of the earth and then he spits into that and he makes a a, a putty out of it and he puts it on the man's eyes and he says, now go wash in the pool of Siloam that's just inside the gate of the fountain. In other words, get your eyes cleared up from who you think you are in Adam and get a revelation of the new creation. And as I was studying this this morning, I went back into my book, and I got one of them again on the table, but I'm not going to prick it up, called Unforced Rhythms of Grace. And there's a whole chapter on this man born blind in this book. Because Jesus does this on the Sabbath day. And I'm not going to take a long time to unpack this, but the Sabbath day is not talking about which day of the week you worship. It's talking about rest and the finished work of Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, he said, let no man judge you in respect of meat, drink, or of a new moon, or of a Sabbath, which things are fulfilled in Christ. Christ is the full, but all those things were a shadow. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So Christ is our Sabbath day. He is our rest And we rest because of the finished work. That's why we rest. So Jesus is going to heal this man on the Sabbath day, and He's going to take clay and spit, and put them together and mingle them and put them on His eyes, and then tell Him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, and when you do, you're going to get a clear vision of who you are in the new creation. When I was studying this, let me slow down just a bit. I, I turned to something I forgot I'd written in the book, Unforced Rhythms of Grace. And I went back to Genesis in the original creation. When God was about to make man on the sixth day, He said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And like the hand of a great potter, He reached down and grabbed a lump of the dust of the red clay of earth, And he begins like the hand of a great potter to shape and mold his image and his likeness into his man. When he's finished making a man of dust, scriptures later get a hold of that and said, because he was out of the earth, he was earthy. But I want you to see this. He doesn't leave him just a ball of clay. About that split second in time, God fills his lungs full of a breath of spirit, substance, and breathes into the nostrils of Adam, the breath of life, and man becomes a living soul. What he does is he interfaces the heavens and the earth in the person of a man. In other words, the heaven and the earth come together. The human, the dust, and the breath of God, the spirit, And when God breathes into man the breath of life, there's an interface. The human and the divine come together and it creates a man in the image of God. I want to say this because I believe it's important. The new creation is both human and divine. Jesus was very God and He was very man and He was the firstborn of a whole brand new species. He's the head of a a brand new race of humanity. And he's made from, and see what I think sometimes happens to us is that we think just because we come into the new covenant, we lose our humanity. I'm not talking about losing our carnality. I'm talking about that the new creation, God desired to express himself through the human, through the man, to put his image in a man so that the uniqueness of who you are in your humanity, God is not disgusted with. He celebrates it. Your talents, your nuances, your personality, I think God enjoys my personality. I think God has a sense of humor. I believe He made me like I am, and I'm getting more and more comfortable with my humanity, not denying my spirituality. It's not either or, it's both of them held in a careful tension. It is the Spirit indwelling humanity that gives expression to the invisible God. We're not a puff of smoke out here trying to deny everything about humanity. God created stuff for us to enjoy. He created His creation for us to enjoy. And He did that by bringing together both the human and the divine. It was the interface where heaven and earth met together in the person Uh, of His first creation. And after the fall, the disconnect comes, and the human and the divine are separated, but in the New Testament Jesus comes on the scene, and He's born of a woman made under the law to redeem them that are under the law, but His Father was God. The human and the divine came together in the person of Jesus Christ, and God reconnected the interface where the heavens and the earth were joined together, and God created a brand new head of a federal race of species called the new creation man that is both human and divine. When Jesus takes the red clay and begins to uh, put this in this man's eyes, and then he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, that man goes and he begins to wash in this pool. Remember, we're talking about the builder of this gate means the one who has spoiled principalities and powers. He's the son of, the the guy's name means the all-seeing one. And he's the ruler of the tower. What I want you to see is that he's going to bring you to the all-seeing one in order to restore your sight. And I believe that as he restores our sight to who we are in the new creation, that what happens is, as we start to walk out of our new identity. I, I have a classic message I taught years ago called the approval of a father will always empower a son. Now what I want you to see also is that this man, the Bible said he was, uh, let me let me just see if I can find it here. It, said, it says uh, that he it said, and he, and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, verse 7, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him, that he was blind, said, Is not he that sat and begged? See, when you think you are in Adam, you're going to become a beggar. You're going to be need-based and man-centered. And and this is something that I think really, really needs to shift in the New Covenant, because we are so need-based, man that we're always trying to beg God. We're standing around altars, begging God for what we already have. One of the times when I had the great opportunity to preach with the great T.L. Osborne, preach with him on a couple of conferences, he made the statement that we waste more time asking God to do something He's already done, or trying to get him to do what he told me to do. And I believe that what we have done in the in, uh, with, in this hour is we have done what the prophet said. I believe it was Isaiah who said, you have forsaken me, the well of living water, and you have hewn out cisterns, empty cisterns, that can hold no water. And our church services become the same old repetitive cycles of trying to get people to realize how much of a deficit they're in, rather than realize how much of a supply they have. So we stand around altars with, here's my cup, I lifted up, Lord, and you need to fill me again. And oh God, I'm a sinner. And oh Lord, help me, Jesus. How many times can we repent? The reality of it is, is what we need to do is realize that He's given us all things that pertain unto life and to God. let me just show you just a few things that I wrote in my notes. And I'm just going to read like this. It says, believer, you are no longer broken. You are wholly remade. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and 23 says that. You're not a sinner saved by grace. Romans 6 chapter 5 verse through 7. Once you were a sinner, but now you're not a sinner. You're a new creation. You are not at odds with God. You are His very righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21, He was made unto us wisdom and righteousness, and we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're not a slave, you're a son and daughter of, in your father's house, Romans 8, verse 16. You are not chasing after God, He chased after you, Luke nineteen ten, the prodigal son, the father pursues you. I'm not saying we shouldn't be hungry to see manifestation, but I'm telling you, God is pursuing you even when you're not pursuing Him. You're not dying to self. You died with Him on His cross. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says... And Romans 6, verse number 6 says the same thing. You might say, well, Paul said, brother, I died daily. Well, let me just tell you something. He's quoting that chapter, and where he talks about dying daily. He said, after the manner of men, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. He was not talking about dying to his old nature. He was talking about every day of his life he faced it. The physical possibility of dying in the arenas with the beast at Ephesus, and on and on it goes. You are, you were crucified with Christ. What we must stop doing is we have to decide, (coughs) listen to me, preacher, pastor. We must decide who we're going to preach to. Either going to preach to Adam to try to modify the behavior of an old creature. And if you do that, you're going to have to preach sin management programs, accountability programs, and you're going to have to put people back under an old covenant because the old covenant was given to to modify the behavior of an old man. But if you decide you're going to preach to the new creature, you're not going to come trying to preach to him to die or to be killed. You're going to come to try to develop, mature, and bring to maturity the new creation. If you do that, you're going to have to preach the new covenant. You have to decide who you're going to preach to. Are we in Adam, or are we in Christ? James said, a double-minded man, a double-souled man is unstable in all of his ways. And I believe the realm of duality is so bad sometimes among Christians is that we, no wonder we're confused of our identity and we're blind. We need to come to an apostolic pool. This word, Siloam, means one who has been sent. And I believe, first of all, Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our profession. But I believe there's a new apostle coming on the scene that's going to bring you back to your real identity of who you are in Christ and not who you were in Adam. And so you know you you died and your Paul said you for you died and your life is hid with Christ in God. If you read that in the Message Bible, Romans 6, go read it in the Message Bible. It says, "How can we who are dead to sin live any longer in it?" that you were crucified with Christ. You don't need, here's my next statement, you don't need more of God. He gave you all of Himself. 1 John 1, says, And of His fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. What we need is an awareness of what's already inside of us. What we need to do is stop being need-based and man-centered and start being supply oriented and instead of coming to church to get, get, get and receive, 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 we come to give and to dispense of the water of life that's freely inside of us. At some point we're going to have to stop being empty, leaking cisterns that the prophet talked about and become artesian wells and become what he declares in the Song of Solomon, my beloved is like a spring shut up and like a fountain sealed. And then he prophesies, the king says, Come, O north wind, come thou and blow, come thou south wind, and blow upon my garden. In other words, the wind of the Holy Spirit is blowing not to get you to see how decrepit and pitiful and empty you are, but to get you to see how full, how much of a supply and what you carry of His fullness have all we received, and we become dispensers of the glory and dispensers of the image of God, and dispensers of a well of living water. When Jesus comes to the woman at the well, He says to her, I'm going to give you a drink of water that you'll never thirst again, and it will be in you a well of water springing up into eternal life. That woman came to a well, and she found a well sitting on top of the well, and that well's name was Jesus. And then He takes her to that well, and then she becomes a well, because she goes into the city of Samaria, Samaria and says, come see a man who told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Messiah she became a well, pointing them to the supply. I believe we sit around, it's almost as if we have a bicycle in a box. That we, it's like getting a Christmas gift, and we're sitting around, at, and it's sitting right beside of us. Oh God, give me this. Oh God, give me this. Oh Lord, just be, you know, pour out in your blood. He's already poured it out. You've got it right. It's like God said, hello, whoa, look here, you've already got all things that pertain to life and godliness. I'm not withholding any good thing from them that love me. Why don't you reach into the toolbox or into the gift box and pull out the things that you need and manifest what is already ours? I believe what's happening at this pool of Siloam and in this time of Reformation is we're coming to an awareness of what we already have. Hallelujah. We're not just coming to draw closer to God, we're already now one with Him. These are the blessings of the new covenant you now are a part of. Believe them, receive them, renew your mind to them, enjoy the new life in Christ. It is in that place of understanding who you are in Christ as a son, as one who is a born one of Him. I believe that's the pool of Siloam that we must come to, where we stop begging We're not sitting around in the pool begging for God to do something. We simply receive what He's already done and start to function in it. Let me just move on down through here, but maybe get one more segment out of it. Some said, uh, let me say, The neighbors therefore, and they which before had seen Him, that He was blind, said, Is not this He that sat and begged? Some said, This is He. Others said, He is like Him. But He said, I am He. Therefore said they unto Him, How were thine eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay, and anointed mine eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam, and wash. And I went and washed, and I received my sight. Will you receive your sight today? you got to simply receive your sight. Then he said unto him, Where is he? And he said, I know not. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight, he said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can he a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. And they say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? He said he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked him, saying, Is this your son, who say, whom you say was born blind? How doth he now see? His parents answered them, said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not, or who hath opened his eyes. We know not, he is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents, because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man confessed that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Sometimes getting a revelation might put you outside the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind, and said unto him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or no, I know not one thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? He, how opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore, would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciple? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. They said, you know what? You're his disciple. We're Moses' disciple. Here's the stark contrast as you turn the corner. Whose disciple are you? Because if you are a legalist, you're going to be just like this man, like these Pharisees. You're going to sit there and criticize And they plainly declared, we're following Moses, and if we're following Moses we're going to keep you bound to a sin consciousness, we're going to keep you bound to who you were in Adam, but this man is a follower of Christ. I don't know about you today, but I'm a follower of Christ and I make no apologies for it. I was blind, but now I see. We're out of time. If you'd like to help us to stay on the air and so into this ministry, simply go to the website, and there's a link where you can give via credit card through PayPal. You can also give by debit card. You can call the number on the screen. Someone will take your call call where you can give that way. Or you can send a check or a money order to the address that will come on the screen. We do need your help and we ask you to act and do that today to help us to be able to cover the cost of these television programs. Tell your friends about us and tune in again next week at the same time as we continue this series. God bless you and thank you for joining us.